Ag State of Mind, episode 122. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today is one of my most anticipated, most exciting episodes that I have ever recorded. Now, this may be just for selfish reasons, because I am interviewing one of my favorite musical artists today, uh, a man by the name of Bryn Hill. Bryn Hill is a cowboy singer, songwriter, poet, uh, just an amazing individual with some amazing songs that really capture the essence of Western lifestyle of someone who understands agriculture, understands cowboying, uh, just a guy that I just have looked up to for so long now. And I sent an email out to him a couple of weeks ago just asking gauging his interest if he would be willing to come on the podcast and uh, sure enough he got right back to me and said yeah he'd love to be on the podcast let's talk next week so uh, here we are we recorded this episode um, and he is just an amazing guy somebody who uh, is just really in tune and really fighting the fight for agriculture. I really enjoyed this. I encourage each one of you to go find his music and listen to it. Uh, it just paints such a wonderful picture. And uh, as you will hear from our interview, Bryn is and a wonderful guy, is just doing so many great things. And I uh, have the utmost respect for him and am very excited for you all to hear from him. So, all right, here we go with my interview with Bryn Hill. All right, Bryn Hill, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. I appreciate you joining me here tonight. Thank you for having me, Jason. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, and I, I mentioned this to you when we were communicating, trying to set this up. You know, I listen, obviously, at work, listen to Pandora Radio. I think it's Spotify now I actually listen to. And you came across one of my stations, and I was just, it, it stopped me because it was so different. It was so different because it sounded so familiar, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the words you were speaking were not words that I had heard in I've heard a lot of music because I felt like you spoke my language and you spoke the language that I understood. So I, I just, I dove into your music and I was just blown away by like the, the just realness that you are able to portray of, you know, of the West, but as also of agriculture, of rural living. It was just very fascinating to me. Well, I appreciate that. It's the finest compliment that I can be given. You know, as an artist, I'm I'm trying to continually speak to the soul of, of who I believe is my audience. And 
you know, my audience comes from rural America and, and for the most part, rural West and Midwest. And, uh, you know, that's by design. I, I understand, uh, I think that part of the world, the best I I've been in love with it all my life. I'm 45 years old and I, you know, I still, if, if you give me uh, a vacation, I'm going to go somewhere, you know, to Montana or Idaho or Wyoming or, you know, I mean, I'm going to go, I, I'd go to Kansas or Nebraska or somewhere in the Midwest too. I just love this country and I, I love the heartland. I love the people there. I love the country there. And, you know, there's a story to be told, I think, as agrarians continue into the 21st century. And, you know, if, if I can be of some support that way, I, I just hope I can fill the niche there a little bit. I feel like agricultural rural America has lost its voice in pop culture to some degree. I became disenchanted with country music when I started my career, really. And, and uh, I found myself, you know, in, in downtown Nashville on Music Row, uh, knocking on doors and writing songs for a music publisher and, and trying to, you know, trying to find my way. I was, I was a guy from the West and, and I'd been cowboying and, and riding and, you know, and hunting and stuff, you know. And so I, I go to Nashville and I'm a fish out of water anyway. <laughs> But I, I really had a rough time, you know, I really had a hard time fitting in there and, and I could see that disconnect from, from rural America to some degree. And this was the late 90s and, and early 2000s. And uh, it just became very clear to me that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to fit in there, nor did I really want to. You know, I wanted to write and sing for the people that, that I understood and the places that I loved. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because there, I, when you talk about Nashville and the music that came out pretty much during that period and I, ever since, I just, there's not a whole lot of soul to it. There's not, a, and it's like you say, there, you know, when I hear the words country music, I think it ought to speak to somebody like me or like you who, lived rurally who not necessarily worked in agriculture but you know it was it was around you were adjacent to it and uh, you know i feel and like i say i turn on i turn on mainstream radio and i just i don't feel a connection with it and you know the the kind of emergence of the inter of internet music has i'd say probably been a friend to you is that what i is that a is that a proper would you would you agree with that or no absolutely absolutely leveled the playing field you know for the most part and and you know as the music business has continued to fragment just you know by way of the way cons consumers you know consume music you know you talk about pandora and spotify and itunes and amazon streaming and and all that kind of stuff you know that that makes artists like me accessible, uh, 24 seven, you know, I was just right. talking to a buddy of mine who's a bronc writer from Alberta. He's a fine young cowboy singer. His name is Matt Robertson. And he says, Brent, I got these guys out there listening to my tunes on, on uh, Spotify and Pandora. And I, I don't know how to get out and, and play to them, you know? And I said, well, you know, our genre is still struggling to find, you know, more and more venues. And I said, mm -hmm. well, maybe a little further down the road. And I said, I got a song called Monster on Your Back that's been streamed a million times. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to, 
to play that live for all those people that are out there listening. And, you know, the reality is not all those people are from rural America. Some of them are from Chicago or, you know, we're on the other side of the globe, you know, but, you know, probably the heart and soul of them are from rural America. And, and, you know, this little genre is, is continually finding inroad, uh, you know, and, and just trying to find our way and into the hearts of people and, and get in front of them to play to them. You know, that's, I think the ultimate goal for those of us that are singing and, and writing and playing, I love to be in front of people. I love to get in my truck, load my PA in there and drive across the country and meet the people and hear their stories and, and, you know, hopefully articulate to them the things that they're seeing and feeling in, in their daily life and agriculture and, uh, you know, and, and make that connection. But, but it's a moving target, certainly, you know, social media, you know, the internet, the streaming forums that, that makes us far more accessible but boy, it's still, it's still plenty of work and there's so much to be done, you know, all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I just, you know, you think about it, it's just the, the kind of landscape that you have had to, I mean, it's just like almost, it was very quickly how it all changed, you know, you know, used to, I remember when I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, uh, the nearest city with anything was St. Louis, right? And, I love to go to the mall in St. Louis because that's where I could get CDs. You know, I couldn't get them really anywhere at home. And we went to a store called Sam Goody. Those were, that was my favorite place to go because I loved music. I've always loved music. I'm sure nobody even knows what a Sam Goody yeah. is anymore. You know, and that, that blows my mind. You know, it's kind of like Blockbuster or whatever with videos. So, I mean, you've had to kind of shift your approach through, I mean, it's ever evolving. And, you know, as you figure out the streaming and, you know, how to make yourself accessible. And I think I can relate to that on a somewhat of a scale because of, you know, being a publisher of media, you know, it is, it's difficult. It's difficult to try and reach your people or try to get your voice heard. I can appreciate the work that has to go into that. You know, one of my one of my counterparts, uh, a close friend and, and somebody who I admire and look up to, a guy I've known since 1995, is Dave Stamey. And, you know, Dave and I talk throughout the year. We end up at the same events sometimes. And, and you know, we're going on 25 years of rolling down the road. And, and uh, Dave is another one of those guys that he puts his PA in his trunk and he goes out on the road and he connects with people, you know, and he's willing to work and do that. And I think, you know, given these forums that we have to get our art out there, to get our message out there, it's going to come down to the guys that are just still willing to build it. Mm -hmm. One solid listener, one supporter at a time, you know, Ian Tyson told me when I was getting started, he said, when you get done with a concert, you go out front, you sign every single CD, you shake every hand you can shake. And he, he says, you'll, if you do that and, and you'll, you know, know the people that are coming to listen to you, you'll always have a job. Yeah. And so far that's, that's wrong. True. Yeah, and people, and that, that, that matters to folks. I mean, people, I mean, that really matters. I remember we went and my wife and I drove to Nashville for her birthday and saw Aaron Watson and he stood, he, he would have stood there 
as long as it took to talk to everybody who waited in line to talk to him. And you know, that, that when you have that connection like that, it means something. It really, you know, it means something, I think both to the artist and to the fan, it just, it, it forms a deeper connection. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm fascinated, Jason, to find that so many of the people that, that support me and that I meet out there, they have such a story and, and so many of them, you know, engaged in the struggle that, that you talk about in, uh, in your podcast, you know, just, you know, maintaining a positive outlook in, in the modern era of agriculture and food production. And I just feel so blessed to meet what, what to me seems like the finest people there are, you know, just the hardest working, most steadfast, honest people seem to be in, in agriculture in this country. And, you know, they're, they're tied directly to the heartland. Their roots are deep. And I just really feel truly blessed to, to meet them and become, you know, a part of their, their lives if I can in any way, shape or form. And so you know, to some degree, I'm, I'm really the fortunate one here by far. So what do you, what do you see from your perspective are the issues that are facing this community? Like where I mean, you sing about them, write about them, like, but what are uh, you know, the ones that kind of stand out to you that you see? You know, for, um, <clears throat> I would say number one would be just uh, that, uh, folks in agriculture, particularly family agriculture, are spread too thin. <clears throat> you know, I think about the guys that are, you know, some of my best friends are running the family ranch, and they probably have another career to sustain their family. You know, I, I think of one guy here from Hennifer, Utah, that, that's got about two businesses, you know, and, and he's successful in everything, but he's, he's just spread so thin all the time. And, you know, I see that that takes a toll on, on him and, and on his family, you know, on his, his relationships. I know there's a lot of things that, you know, probably like to do in life, but, um, but I don't think at the same time that, that he feels, uh, you know, like he wants to do anything other than just be dedicated to, to what he's doing, you know, and that's so admirable to me, but, but yeah, in, in general, I think our, our families uh, in agriculture are, are really spread thin in, in this modern day and age, accessing uh, you know, the resources that they need to keep, keep things going, accessing financing, accessing enough land resources, water resources, all the things that everybody has been engaged in. But I think for, for this generation, when I say this generation, I guess I mean yours and mine, I think this generation is spread extremely thin because they all seem to have to go find other employment somewhere to, to support it. Yeah. And, yep. and that's, you know, that's something that I don't hear a lot of people talk about. And, and almost, I think some of them are, are like, you know, kind of embarrassed by it or something, you know, that, you know, they, they'd be a, a full-time cowboy, but they have to be a full-time cowboy in a, construction worker or something, you know, or, or a businessman to keep it alive. And, and I see no shame in that, you know, I think it's, it's pretty admirable that they're willing to do, you know, put in the hours that they put in to, to keep things going. And, and so 
I think that's that's the number one. I think, you know, the second thing I think is that that folks in agriculture just feel so misunderstood and just so misrepresented in, in modern culture. In fact, I don't know that they feel represented in, in mainstream culture. You know, as you and I talk today, I see that uh, President Biden has uh, made some move to you know, subsidize the meat, meat packing industry. And that's another conversation. You know, I have, have friends that are struggling with, with that, you know, and, uh, you know, small, small family ranchers that, uh, that really got hit hard last year, you know, and, but for the most part, you know, when, when have we heard, when have we heard about agriculture and, you know, in pop culture and mainstream society from the media, it's just not, it's not something that's talked about. And I, I think, you know, these folks feel uh, underrepresented. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, you know, and, you know, now we have a TV show that's, you know, probably one of the most popular TV shows in America, Yellowstone. And, you know, I watch that and I just a lot of the times have to cringe because it's not real life, you know, so much yeah. of it. it, it it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's entertaining for sure, but it's not an accurate portrayal of what actually happens, you know, the day in, day out. And, you know, we are, I, I do feel like the community feels very misunderstood. You know, I think that, and that's a, that's a reason why this podcast exists. And I think that's probably a big reason for your music as well. And, you know, finding something that people can relate to is, it gets them through hard times. You know, like I say, that's the best compliment I'm I'm given is, hey, your you know your music got me through a hard time. I have uh, you know songs that I've written about personal family tragedy that that other folks have found along the way when they needed it. And and honestly, Jason, that means more to me than than gold. Really, it's uh, to be able to become a part of their lives and and. Uh, you know, these are the people that I, I truly do look up to, I admire, you know. When, when I think about me playing to an audience, the, the folks that are coming to see me are the ones that ought to be on the stage. <laughs> you know, I, I just pay tribute to them and, and their struggle and, and what they do in life. And, and I, I feel truly blessed that way. Like I say, that's, that's the biggest compliment that I can get because really that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring some, shed some light on what, is accurate and real in, you know, in agriculture, in American agriculture today, talk about some of the issues that we're up against and just try to shed some light on, on the authentic folks that are still here doing it. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's plenty of them. And, you know, what you said about people trying, you know, doing everything they can, fighting tooth and nail to keep this way of life going and, you know, feeling a lot of shame in that because, you know, ha as far as shame and having to have outside income or whatever the case may be, it not being as profitable as it once was. But I just, I can't think of another time. I mean, I obviously I've been on this earth not as long as a lot of people, but I, I can't think of a time when it has had to be so challenging to do that sort of work you know obviously we have advances in technology and and things like that which make it does make our jobs easier but the the resistance that comes uh the misunderstanding 
I always point to the stat of I think in the turn of the 20th century. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to say this wrong, but I think it's somewhere around around half, maybe 40 percent of people lived an agrarian lifestyle, lived on a farm. Um, take that to today, and it's less than two percent. Yeah, you know. So I mean, obviously, we feel there's a lot of misunderstanding there, but it's. But what I'm saying is that it, it is a very challenging time right now. But you know, just to have those little glimpse of 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 light of hope, you know, if we were talking about uh, scripture study, I would call them tender mercies. Things that are, you know, even when things are bad, things are tough, little glimpses of hope to kind of get us through to the next day or the next year or whatever it may be. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, tender mercies is is a great way to describe that. I, I think the folks that uh, that I meet that are still out there, that are listening to you, that are coming to the concerts and listening to the to the songs, you know, really their, their payout is those uh, you know beautiful clear fall mornings that they're looking at their harvest? Mm. You know those those very few rainy summer days. You know just just those those sort of times that uh, they get to realize that what they do have is special. That land, yeah. you know, land ownership, land stewardship is is kind of sacred duty, and you know it's it's really a a blessed opportunity to, uh, to be a part of that. And, you know, as hard as they're working and, and as stretched as they are, I know, I know that they just wouldn't trade it, you know? And yeah. so those are the values that I, you know, I have, I have a 19 year old, I have a soon to be 16 year old and a soon to be 13 year old, two sons and a daughter. And, you know, through, through what I do and, and, you know, we, our family vacation is hunting trips Mm-hmm. And, you know, from time to time, we help some friends out on the ranch too. And, and so what I'm trying to do is I want my children to understand those values. Yeah. To really understand that, you know, that connection to the land is, that's the true conservation, land stewardship, and the folks that are out there taking care of it, producing a product that comes into our home and our dinner table is those are the values I, I want my children to understand. You know, I remember my grandfathers, uh, both of them working so hard, even after they had retired, uh, they both had great big gardens and this is, you know, they could barely walk, walk through their gardens, but their joy was their harvest, their true joy, you know, looking in their eyes when they looked at their harvest, that's the same look that they gave me as their grandson, that they gave their children. You know, that, that level of joy is what they experienced with, with their annual harvest. So I, I want to pass that on to my children so that they understand uh, the values behind the food that they eat. Yeah. And even if they don't, and I can say this, I'm a father of four boys and from up 16 down to eight and two of them will probably live, uh, if not a, a career in agriculture, uh, you know, they'll have, they'll have some land, some animals of their own. Uh, one, I don't think will, one's kind of still up in the air, 
But even the the one I, the one that doesn't, Cooper, him and I were talking. You know, he you know he doesn't want to show cattle. He doesn't want to ride horses. He does show lambs at the county fair, just because I think it's his thing that he likes to do, and it, you know keeps him connected here. You know, but him and I. We have some of the most fascinating conversations. He's 11, and we have some of the most fascinating conversations about food and where it comes from. And you know, one day I asked him, I said, you know, would you, because because he I, he doesn't seem to enjoy it like the others do, would you, I asked him one day, I said, would you want to live in town? Would you want to yeah. live, you know, where you have neighbors and you can ride your bike down the street? And he said, no, Dad, I want to. I want to live here because I, I love what it, I love what it, what it has taught me. And he, and he just, I just think he loves the, the space that it has given him. Yeah. And we're very blessed for that. Yeah. You know, as an artist, it's what inspires me most is, you know, I think about ridge tops that I can, I can stand on here and, and uh, you know, look in every direction and not see a town. <laughs> Those are those are the places that I can really clear my mind and think and and become inspired. You know that's that's really, I think the central character in my music. I've been asked this before. They said, you know, who's who's the central character of your music? And I said, it's the land. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has to be. The land is is the source of of life out here. You know, it can be harsh, and uh, it's it's rugged. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely sometimes hostile, but (laughs) you know, it's, it's the central character and it is what, you know, moves me and inspires me to be a songwriter and be an artist. And, you know, that's, that is my, my vehicle and my connection to it. You know, people say, are you a real cowboy? And I say, no, I'm a real singer songwriter. You know, I'm, I'm a music guy. I've always been a music guy. I, I love music. I love all kinds of music. And for whatever reason, you know, I just, I guess I have a knack for, for telling the story, but I am a cowboy at heart. I I'm a Western big game hunter at heart. And, you know, I, I just feel really fortunate to, to know some of those uh, great expanses uh, very intimately all over the West. <clears throat> I live in Utah and I'm <clears throat> Northern Utah, 50 miles Northwest of Salt Lake City in a town called Hooper. I can go, pretty much any direction and, and be, you know, all but lost in the mountains. And, you know, I love Idaho and Wyoming, Western Wyoming. I've spent a ton of time in Western Wyoming and, and central Idaho and, and, you know, up around the Clearwater river and South Fork of the Clearwater and, and Selway and all that uh, country up there, the, the uh, Payette forest. So I, I, I'm kind of smack in the middle of the country that inspires me. And, uh, Whenever I'm, uh, I guess, uh, feeling like I need some fresh air, I can go just about any direction and find it. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it's such a, bl- and from what I hear, I've not been out there, but I hope to be spending plenty of time out there. Uh, some of my best friends just moved back to there to, I can't remember the name of the town, but they're in Box Elder County. Oh, there you go. And uh, my son is really seriously considering going to Utah State and Logan. So I'm very anxious. We're actually coming out to Utah this summer for vacation um, as a family. And uh, I'm very 
anxious to see that land and that I hear so much about and see so much about in pictures and which those pictures I'm sure don't do it justice. Very, very excited for that. Well, uh, look me up when you get here. You're, uh, you're welcome anytime. You know, the West I've had, I've had people come out. Uh, I, I sort of, one of my other hobbies, I guess, is uh, I do a little, do a lot of hunting, I guess, probably too much. And so I've, I've had some, some hunters from, from, I couldn't tell with all that background there behind you. <laughs> my son's crossbow and uh, he's a brain and spinal cancer survivor. He got his uh, variants this year to, uh, to hunt with a crossbow. So yeah, I've had him, had him tuning up on that, but right. um, yeah, so I've had some hunters, you know, that come out here and they're they're a little bit intimidated by it. You know, it's it's a little harder to judge distances across canyons. You know, most canyons are at least three hundred, four, five, six, maybe a thousand yards. You know, and and uh, I know sometimes people feel a little swallowed up in that. You know, talk about being in Nashville when I was younger. I I came from this country and I went out east and and the trees, you know they grow up on the sides of the road there and you got a little strip of sky, blue sky above you, you know, in the, in those beautiful forests out there and along the highway. And, and I felt a little bit claustrophobic that way. You know, I felt like I, and I had a really tough time with direction, you know, in the mm -hmm. west, you can see the sky, you can always kind of see where the sun's at. You know, usually most of the mountain peaks run north and south. Right. So, so finding direction is, has always been, you know, fairly easy for me out west, but I've I've felt a little bit uh, lost, you know, in the in the mid Atlantic. But uh, but yeah, you know, the west can be somewhat intimidating. It's it's big country. Like I say, there's still a lot of ridge tops that I can stand on and look in any direction and not see a town, not see a highway, you know, hardly even see a road, and. You know, I, I love those places and, and I think, you know, because of that, to some degree, they'll always be there because, uh, you know, the West is, like I say, so inhospitable in some places. <laughs> that those places will always be as they are. I think about central Idaho and, and uh, you know, the Frank Church and the Bob Marshall and, and uh, that kind of country that's just, it's just so big and so jagged that you hardly can't see it all. I'm trying to see all of it. I'm 45 and I think I've, I don't know, I've maybe seen a 10th of it, you know? Right. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to run out of lifetime, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It, 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 it always, you know, we, we were out in Wyoming a couple years ago and I'm just always just in awe of how big everything is. It just, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, you, you just, I don't think you can really understand how big and open it is out there until you just stand in the middle of it and experience it. I, you know, from, I'm much very similar to where I live is very similar to what you described in uh, Tennessee. You know, there's hills and trees and, you know, it's hard to, I could see how someone who wasn't used to that would be claustrophobic. To me, it's a little bit comforting, but that's because that's the life I was raised in. Yeah. Uh, but to go out there and just see how big and open and, you know, and I think what it really does is make you realize how small you are on this big old earth. Yeah. You know, I think, Jason, I, I think still even to this day, 
January, whatever it is, uh, 2022, I think there's still more antelope in Wyoming than there are people. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> and, and you know where antelope live is, is a big, you know, high desert prairie, wide open expanse. And, and you know, that's, that's a lot of Wyoming. The other part of Wyoming is just gorgeous mountains that reach through the sky. I've never seen mountains like I've seen there. It's just, it's unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable how, and again, people see them in pictures and it just, uh, we hiked one of the, my wife and I actually went out there for two weeks. This, uh, it was actually September of 2020 and it was some of the hardest hiking I've done in my life. We were in Tetons and hiked up to Delta Lake. Just we were there. It's right at the base of Grand Teton. And I didn't think I was going to, I seriously didn't think I was going to make it. I thought I was going to have to stop and, and go back down, but we pushed through and my gosh, what it would it like, I, I, I can never like erase what that scenery was like from my memory and how worth it it was. I mean, it's just, the country is so beautiful. It's just, yeah. it's indescribable to talk about how beautiful it is and, you know, how untouched it is for the most part. And it's just it's truly amazing how beautiful it is. And don't feel bad about running out of oxygen because I live here at 4,000 <laughs> feet. When I go to Pinedale, I get an altitude headache. So it takes, really? oh yeah, it takes me a couple of days. You know, those, those towns are seven and 8,000 feet. And Pinedale, it was one of my uh, the whole trip we did out there, that was my favorite place I went. I, oh, it's we just, town. Yeah. Oh, it's such a great town. I hate to even, I'm almost like sheepishly saying it because like, I don't want it to, I don't want people to know how great it is because it's, it's relatively quiet there. And it's just, it um, I'll tell you what would happen is, is a lot of folks, as soon as they get to one good solid winter in Pinedale, they, uh, yeah, I'd say that's true. seriously about having another home somewhere else warmer, but <laughs> yeah, that's cold, cold country, cold country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, it's cold here. We're probably uh, going to be down in the teens tonight, and and usually we have a, a stretch, you know, where we're ten below at night and and twenties in the day. That yeah. doesn't last too long. We need snow right now. Uh, one of the uh, the, probably the biggest immediate challenge here to the folks around us in agriculture is is the drought. Yeah, we're yep. a horrible drought out here in the West. And you know, I'm 45 years old, and I've seen uh, creeks running dry this year that I've I've never seen run dry. You know, yeah. So yeah. it's it's an unprecedented drought here. You know, the West was on fire a few months ago. I guess it's still on fire. Colorado had a big fire here. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're praying for rain and, and, uh, and, and a big, you know, snowpack, deep snowpack here this year. We have uh, reservoirs here in Utah that feed us and, and probably not enough. We're finding out, although from where I sit right now, there's, you know, there's probably eight to 10 reservoirs within an hour. Mm -hmm. And we need snowpack, you know, in the 80 to 100 inch level in those 10,000 foot peaks to fill those reservoirs for us to be uh, at, at normal water, water levels. And, and we're way behind. We're just, right. we've had two, two years in a row of extreme drought. So that's, uh, that's the immediate challenge here. I have a brand new record that I'm just about to finish up. It'll be kind of uh, 
a banner year for me. And, and really this is a spillover from uh, 2020 from a pandemic because all my gigs got wiped out. Right. And so I had, I could either stay home and do honeydews or I could stay home and write songs. And well, that's an easy choice, right? So <laughs> all through the pandemic and uh, you know, my wife would be like, what, what are you doing? I'm writing a song, honey. I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm working away. I'm really straining for this one. So anyway, I did write a ton of songs. So I, I came out with a record in uh, 21 called Still in the Fight. Mm-hmm. This is sort of like a part two, but not really because I, I had other songs that uh, sort of went with this. It's called Painkiller. And uh, one of the songs on there is No Country for Faithless Men. And it came by way of a conversation I had with one of my cowboy heroes, a guy that's about seven or eight years younger than me grows three times the beard and is uh, <laughs> you know probably one of the best bronc riders i've ever known his name's simmy weston and he's he's from a family that uh, the westons are a, a ranch family from randolph woodruff area you know simmy was just talking about uh, he never spent more time you know digging for water this summer and you know, this is a guy that's larger than life. I mean, the first time I ever met Simi, he was on about a 16-hand gangly paint horse, you know, bucking out through. I'm riding a three-year-old that's pretty broke, just hoping that I don't get dumped, you know. And, and here Simi is bucking out through the sage. He's got his, he's, he's fanning him, got his hat in his hand, fanning him, he's spurring, he's smiling, looking up at the sky and yeehawing. And I thought, my gosh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and this guy, he's just larger than life. And I, I had a conversation with him in the, in the summer. And he said, you know, Brent, it's, it's been a tough year. Mm. And I, I mean, I've never heard him, you know, admit to hard times. He's one of the toughest guys I've ever known. And, and it, was a, it was the drought, you know. And it's, it's just one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, we talk about these guys being spread thin. Their financial resources are, are maxed you know, their uh, capital resources are maxed. A lot of them are injured half the time because they're riding colts, you know, or their colts are injured and they need a horse, you know. Right. I mean, it's just, there's always something. And then comes this, you know, paralyzing drought. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's almost like what, you know, how much of this can, can these guys take, you know, these folks take? But yeah, it, and the songs is, is no country for faithless men. And, and the premise of that is that the family was, was promised by a holy man that uh, grass would always stretch the land deep and lush and green. Cometh now a wicked world. The wrath of God has been unfurled. There's fire in the wind world, worst drought you've ever seen. So save again the righteous man. May the spirit guide his hulahan. May his sacred land be green again. This is no country for faithless men. These folks are, they're literally, you know, just, just riding on their prayers mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in times like this. And, and so, you know, I've, I've really used the music as a way to, to rejuvenate and inspire these guys. And, you know, I never forget, uh, I played at the, the Rand, at the Rich County Fair in Randolph this summer and uh, it's funny, we, we have to drive over a big mountain pass called Monte Cristo to get up there, and, and it was snowing on Monte in July. 
And, you know, that's just out of the blue. I mean, it's the rest of the, the summer, it was so hot. And all of a sudden we're driving through snow at, at 9,000 feet, you know, and we get on the other side and, and we play at the Rich County Fair and there's, these guys are my heroes, you know, and, and their, their wives are my heroes. Their wives are better bronc riders and ropers than I'll ever hope to be. Uh, these are just the finest people that I know and they're, they've been fighting drought all year long. And I play that song and, and sitting right out there is Simi, you know, and, and, and so I, yeah, I feel so fortunate to be able to use the music, you know, to try to uplift and inspire the folks that are still, still doing this and still living it. You know, as I've said before, they're the greatest inspiration in my life, them and, and the land that they live on and that I get to live on. And, uh, you know, they, I, I try to honor them and, and I'm honored to, uh, to know them and call them my friends. And, and so long as I've got, uh, you know, a guitar in my hand and, and that I can sing and drive around the country and play, I'm, I'll, I'll be doing this come hell or high water. Yeah. So I got a couple songs I want to ask you about because yeah. this is my podcast and I would be very disappointed with myself if I didn't. <laughs> my favorite song is Backs Against the Wall. Mm. In fact, my, that's my favorite album of yours is Equine. Yeah. I, I got to know who is that guy that you're singing about in that song. Well, he's from Woodruff. Yeah, his name is Kalen Downing, and and um, Kalen's a longtime friend. He, you know, his family uh, ranch there in Woodruff. In fact, they leased a place out in in uh, the Great Basin in Nevada uh, at one point. You know, he uh, he kind of started his own little herd of cows there, and and went off on his own a little bit, and was riding Bronx to help pay the bills. <laughs> you know, I mean, talk about spread thin. You know and he's got a busted arm and he's got his teeth knocked out and, and, you know, and, and he's got hay to cut and he's got cattle to feed and doctor and he's got colts to ride and he's out on the road riding Bronx, hoping that he wins so that he can, you know, pay his insurance and mortgage. And <clears throat> yeah, that's what, that's what backs against the wall is, you know, the premise of that is these guys are at their best when their backs are against the wall. You know, when, when there is no failing is not an option, mm. you know, and I've seen, I've seen Kalen make, make some bronc rides. Matter of fact, we were, we were trailing across Deseret land and livestock. They had a, had a right of way across there over to Heiner Canyon where they summered their cattle. And uh, I was riding another horse that, that, you know, was, was broke, pretty broke as <laughs> a cold young horse. And uh, his, his rear end was about three feet wide and his back was about two feet long. And this horse had wait, his smart Chicolina bred, he'd wait for a long straightaway, big long meadow and he'd duck his head and start just, and he'd buck so hard. And <clears throat> you know, I'm not right. So anyway, I get bucked off. These guys are all around me. I get bucked off. I turn back to save a calf and I get bucked off and I separate my tailbone. Kalen is ponying this uh, little dun horse that his, his mother-in-law had been bucked off of. And I'm looking at this thing thinking, man, that's a rank son of a gun. You know, I can't think of putting my mother on that horse. And he, 
and he's ponying this thing out. We get to this wash and, and he has his brother snub him up on this, on this colt. And I mean, it just like, uh, his face just glossed over and he swung himself up in the saddle and he said, you want to buck? Let's buck. And my gosh, what a bronc ride. I'll tell you what, it, it went on for, you know, you think about eight seconds. This went on for a couple of minutes <laughs> up one side of the wash and down the other. And I, there's about 10 times I thought they were going to fall over. And, and I'll tell you what, by the end of that bronc road, that bronc ride, this horse was broke. Done. And, and, you know, I, there, I, I got bucked off a horse that was broke. So uh, <laughs> yeah, backs against the wall is, is, uh, is uh, for the most part, it's it's about Kalen. There's a bunch of those guys, I think, that find their way into that song from that part of the world. And, sure. and uh, you know, old Rick McChris, he's a guy that uh, I've rode with many a mile. And, and Rick rode up alongside me one day. He says, Brent, when are you going to put my name in a song? <laughs> uh, we, we, put, we put Rick in the song, too. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, that's... That's awesome. I, I I love I love that. And obviously, my, another favorite is "Nothing in This Life" because I feel that song. You know, I've n- never had a child who has had um, any sort of terminal chronic illness. Thankfully, yeah. But I do have a son who struggles with just he, he struggles with his emotions a lot. And this year we bought him his first, his first own pony, his first horse. She's nothing, you know, to look at. She's nothing special. She's about 13, three, you know, maybe weighs 800 pounds, Palomino, the blaze face. And, but I, I swear that she could just as well be worth a million dollars for the good that she has done him. And the relationship that they have and the way he carries himself, the, how much he's learned. I just, I, I feel that song really deeply. And I don't think I felt it as deep in, when I heard it the first time as I do now, uh, several years later. And I just, I appreciate that song. And I, I, I know that that song probably came from a place uh, that was really hard for you, but I just wanted to let you know how much that song means to me. And it, I'm lucky to get through that song without having tears in my eyes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored again, man. And that's, you know, like I say, those are the biggest compliments that can come to a songwriter. Summer of 2006, a uh, lady calls me up from uh, Rollins, Wyoming. And she says, uh, you got room, you got room in your, in your pasture for a family horse. And I said, well, yeah you know she says well uh these folks they want to give you a horse you know and i'm i've i've been given a few horses jason you know right i know my dad was a quarter horse breeder uh i know (laughs) and she says no she says i'll tell you what i've been down there and i looked at the horse and i'm telling you brand you want this horse this lady's a friend of mine and so okay off off we go driving across the prairie to, to rollins and got to the, I never met these folks before we walk out there. I got, I got my son in my arms and my wife's got my other son at her side. 
and we had some friends with us and, and we go down to their arena. I'm looking at this horse. I'm thinking, why, what's happening right now? You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a horse with a human soul and, and this lady says, you know, I just, uh, she says, uh, this horse has heaves and, uh, you know, she's, we got to get her, we got to get her out of this dry, high climate. And, um, if you can, you know, if you can give her a place and give her a home, it would just mean the world to us, you know? And I, uh, so we, we bring Jessie home and she becomes part of the family and, you know, we kind of nursed her back to health and, and my young son and I, and, and, uh, my, my wife and my older son had some great rides on Jessie. You know, she just literally became part of the family. And like you say, you know, became, became that, that therapy animal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and little did we know, you know, how much we would need a therapy horse. My son at, uh, November of 2008. In fact, he and I were, were on her and, and out here in the pasture. And it was a November, beautiful November fall afternoon. He looked up at me and he said, dad, I want to get off. And he had never wanted to get off. I mean, this is a kid, you, you pry him off and he kicks you in the teeth, you know, as he's going down, cause he wants to stay on the horse. And uh, so I, I hand him off to my wife. I said, something's wrong, you know, and Two days later, we're at Primary Children's Hospital in the middle of the night, uh, you know, going through MRIs and CAT scans and, and uh, figuring out that, uh, you know, we're just at the beginning of a battle with brain and spinal cancer. And, you know, all of a sudden, eight, nine months goes by really fast, but also really slow. You know, when you're a horse guy and you want to be on the back of a horse, you're just staring out the window every day and you're in a hospital and, you know, I just... It was the hardest thing to do to to just stay cooped up in there. And I knew it was hard on my son. And, and finally, you know, June or July rolls around and and we get out of there and we get to go get Jesse and bring her home and, and put my, my son back up on her back. And of course, in the meantime, you know, he'd had a surgery that uh, rendered his right side, you know, pretty much uh, paralyzed and um, hemiparesis is what they call that. And, and, you know, I remember the day that uh, one of the docs came in and said, well, you know, we, this, this had a huge impact on his right side and, you know, can't really guarantee that he's ever going to walk again. And, and this is a kid, you know, that was running around, you know, days before. And the, the first thought I had is, is he, he doesn't need to walk. He's got, he's got a horse. He, he can ride, you know, and, and, really what's walking for anyway, you know, when you can be on the back of a good horse. So uh, that was the first thought that went through my mind. And, and, you know, that's kind of, kind of where that song came from. And, and the irony is that, that Jesse was his number one therapist. And I think that core strengthening, getting back up on that horse. And, you know, at first I had to ride alongside him and, uh, and then that evolved to, you know, me ponying him along and, and just that ability to strengthen that core again is part of what got him up on his feet miraculously. And, you know, the kid is uh, about to turn 16 years old. He's, you know, he goes to Rocky mountain junior high school. He didn't make the basketball team, but he tried out by dang and he lives to hunt. And, you know, he needs a little help from time to time, but, uh, but he's a walking miracle and, and 
we know how blessed we are every time we look at him, but, but we certainly remember fondly that, uh, that horse, Jesse, sadly, she passed away, you know, a few years after that. And, you know, there's, there's many reasons that it's hard for me to get through that song, but probably honestly, Jason, the hardest thing is that I see that horse. I see her in her eyes every time I sing that song and, and I know the role that she played. And I know that she knew that she had a job to do and uh, she knew something wasn't right with the family. And, and when she finally got that boy back on her back and, and got a job to do again, she was happy again. She was really happy. And, and I think about that every time I sing that song and that honestly more, more than just about any other reason is, is why that song's hard to get through. I could imagine. I mean, it's just, I mean, shoot, it's hard for me to listen to, you know what I mean? But I mean, I just, but it's like, I've made this kind of connection throughout this podcast. I've had several people who have shown me the, or talked to me about the uh, statistical data that supports how horses can be a, I mean, a therapeutic animal. My dad used to talk about it all the time. You know, he used to talk about when, and my dad was very, just one of those guys, just irons in the fire. He owned the livestock market. He was quarter horse breeder. He ran a cow calf operation You know, he had a lot of things on his mind. He said, you know, two in the morning, he would not be able to sleep. And then he, what he would do is he'd walk out to the barn. He'd have a yearling, two-year-old out there that you know somebody was breaking to ride and he'd put him on the cross ties brush that horse and go back in the house sleep like a baby till it was time to get up just because they just almost like absorb your problems you absorb your issues you know they they have a they have a soul i mean just uh it's just they're just remarkable animals you know, and the antithesis of that is when you're a singer songwriter and you travel all the time and you got a cold at home that needs some rides and you come home off the road and you look out there in the pasture and the old colt's looking at you like, bring it on, brud. <laughs> I've been standing here waiting for you and I know your back is already sore because you've been. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I don't know what my life would be without them. And, you know, that's another pretty, uh, pretty central character to my to my music and and certainly you know those critters have inspired me a lot yeah well i mean it's they've done an incredible job i'll say that well i want to i want to be respectful of your time tonight i appreciate your willingness to jump on here with me and chat i mean this has been really cool for me and i i appreciate you know you being so honest and open and just having a really cool conversation with me here tonight I'm honored and privileged, Jason. I want to thank you for what you're doing and uh, making a connection with those uh, folks out there that uh, that need to know that somebody is uh, advocating on their behalf and, and trying to shed some light on what's really happening out there. And I'm, I'm here to help any way that I possibly can and, and just honored that uh, you would have me be a part of your show. Wish you all the best and best to your family and to all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Where can uh, people want to find you find your music online where do where do they go yeah of course uh you know itunes uh pandora spotify uh amazon and any of your favorite streaming channels will have us b-r-e-n-n hill 
brenhill.com, uh, Brenhill Music on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, drop us a line and, and uh, we've got our schedule there. If you see a concert somewhere close to you or even if it's two states away, come and see us. Yeah. Bring all your friends, all your family and, uh, you know, we're there to chat and have a good time. So, uh, uh, yeah, hope to uh, hope to meet some of your listeners. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so, too. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Have a good evening. You too. Best to your family. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.